0: As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour with stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, mind, body, spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called Extremely Frightening and Upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and
1: I'm Mick Garris, and this is another fun-size post-mortem AMA where I answer the questions that you ask me, and you ask them through our esteemed producer, Mr. Joe Russo. Joe, good to see you. How are you?
2: Good to see you too, Mick. And uh, when this airs, in two days, it will be your birthday. So oh, hey, happy, happy I, early birthday.
1: Yikes. I didn't want <laughs> anybody talking about that, but thank you very much.
2: Ah, we're, we're, don't worry. The world will remember. So, yeah, oh, great.
1: <laughs> well, we talked to, on earlier shows about how we would recommend the things that uh, that we're watching and enjoying, and that we want people to do the same. I'd like to recommend a couple of things that are really interesting because they come from a different perspective of my own. Um, bad hair is something I found really, really interesting and funny, and poignant and really yeah
2: it's great I mean you recommended it and I watched it and I I enjoyed the hell out of it it's super fun
1: yeah it's a really fun thing and the the less said about it the better but um, it's really a lot of fun and that's on Hulu and uh, on Netflix is uh, an equally um, impressive uh, debut called his house. Mm. Another black filmmaker. This one from the UK, yep. and it's powerful, much more serious than the more lighthearted uh, Bad Hair. But something I found really moving, as yeah. well as genuinely frightening. What did you think, Joe?
2: I, I, I mean, I thought it was exceptionally made. I thought the performances were incredible. I thought the perspective was unique and different. It was, you know, uh, just a great, and interesting. Uh, look into the uh, immigra- immigration experience, you know, and, and the, yeah. refu- the refugee experience. The
1: refugee experience was really, really impressive. And, and uh, I just, I thought it was a, a really new, um, a new location, a new, uh, a, a new feel for a horror and taking it quite seriously and putting it into something that makes a statement about social conditions without preaching.
2: Well, and they also did something that was really interesting was they they found a way to solve the uh, dilemma of why don't you just leave the haunted house? Right. Uh, they, right. they couldn't. They literally couldn't because they would lose their refugee status if they left this haunted house. So uh, it, it presented a really interesting dilemma to watch the characters work through. Uh, I, thought, I thought it was very, very good.
1: And another one I liked on Shudder that um... – was really impressive is La Llorona, the Spanish yes. language film, not the curse of La Llorona, but La Llorona. Uh, it's a Spanish language film. It's really good and it takes things very seriously and it's very grown up. These are all really grown up horror movies. They're not slashers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They don't have you know, mutants and monsters and demons and werewolves, but the monsters within are us.
2: La Llorona is a little lighter on the scares than the other two movies, but the thing that I found to be so pervasively terrifying is outside of the general's home, there are these protesters and they're there around the clock and you can hear them baked into all of the background noise of the scene. Scenes I just thought it was so impressive.
1: Really good. And of course, I'm going to mention again host because that's one of my favorite movies of the year. Um, we've talked about it a little before uh, and it's just an ingenious use Of computer screen cinema. And I I just thought they did a great job. It's really amazingly with that format. It is genuinely scary and suspenseful and beautifully written and acted.
2: Yeah, no, I think host is exceptional. And uh, I'm so happy you feel that way because I know you can be a little uh, iffy on the found footage genre. So.
1: I also want to mention uh, a book that I read that I was really impressed by is Grady Hendrix's The Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires.
2: Oh yeah, Grady's awesome.
1: He's so terrific. This is really good. And, and again, genuinely scary and funny. And it's about a ladies book club primarily who slay vampires. Um, <laughs> it's really good. And then in, in terms of television, have you watched Monsterland? I haven't watched Monsterland. Well, the title is very misleading. You expect something, you know, full of uh, monsters. Well, once again, it's very adult. It is an anthology show. Wesley Strick is the creator and showrunner who is a a great screenwriter who did um, uh, the remake, the Scorsese remake of Cape Fear. Um, Mm. He wrote that. Uh, Terrific writer. And it, again, is very adult, very grown up and, and not at all what, you would expect by the misleading title, so uh, there's a TV show to add to our recommendation.
2: I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out one thing that is not horror related because you and I both believe it's important oh, for horror horror be. fans horror fans to not. Just watch horror. Uh, I thought The Queen's Gambit was exceptional.
1: <laughs> I had it on my list, but I wasn't going to talk about it because it wasn't genre. But you brought it up, and it's it's really the best series I've seen in recent uh, months. Yeah,
2: I think it's one of the best things I've seen all year. And I keep telling yeah. our uh, our engineer, who is a chess expert, he needs to watch it. Uh, so oh. hopefully, hopefully, he will uh, heed that that advice too. It's it's terrific, Chris. It's
1: two to one. You got to do it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay okay you twisted my arm
2: <laughs> <laughs> the voice speaks uh all right so shall we dive into some questions mick let's do it joe all right Jay scott goldberg loves your hair and asks what is your, <laughs> what is your secret <laughs>
1: genetics i guess
2: <laughs> that's it that's it there's no no secret regimen there's no product there's no
1: no i just you know when i Go to the drugstore and pick things up. That's where I get my shampoo.
2: <laughs> there you go. Wow. That, well, there you go. So, now, there's yeah.
1: an earth-shattering question and answer that yes. obviously um, needed to lead the conversation.
2: I, I, I'm just I'm easing you in. Okay. Oh, uh We haven't we haven't done this in a while. So, yeah, uh, that's right. Constantine Furman asks: Since we were off air when John Saxon died, did you have any stories you wanted to share about him?
1: You know, he was in. Dario Argento's uh, Pelts episode of Masters of Horror. And, you know, he's been in so many great and not so great movies over the years, kind of a a stalwart of of B-horror movies. And I know that Dario brought him in because of that and as a tribute to all those great movies he'd done. Um, I didn't have much interaction with him at the time. You know, I was on the set for much of the shoot. And all I can say, he was such a nice guy, such a gentleman. And, you know, we really lost not just a wonderful actor, but a wonderful human being. He he could not have been more of a team player. And I think he really enjoyed being on set doing this this work with Dario. And he obviously knew Dario's work and appreciated who he was. So I could see the mutual admiration between the two of them. And and it was really a pleasure to watch that collaboration take place.
2: That's great. Yeah, no, John, John is a, a star waltz of so many movies that I grew up loving and he will be missed. Yeah, um, definitely. Uh, Carlos Sandoval asks, how does your background as a musician influence your writing, both literary and in screenwriting?
1: Ah, well, he's uh, referring to my old band in the seventies horse feathers. Um, and, You know, I think there's a shared sense of rhythm, particularly when you're dealing with building tension and suspense, that is the same thing, particularly in our band, which was a prog rock band. We weren't just three chords, you know, uh, chorus, uh, verse, verse, chorus, verse, verse, chorus, middle eight. You know we were weaving something more in a classical sense in that um it's telling a story, a musical story that builds and relieves tension in the like and i think I think a lot of filmmakers and a lot of writers are musicians, and they use the same sense of rhythm in building scenes as they do in building songs and musical movements and the like. So, um, I definitely think it has an influence. I don't know how heavy that influence is, but I think that you'll find a lot of people who make movies, who paint, who act, who write are also musical, whether they have mastered an instrument or not, because all, all of those arts feed one
2: another. I, uh, I agree, uh. You know, I, I I used to sing, so uh, I I feel the same. Um, used to sing, hmm. yeah. Well, I mean, I guess I still can, but not 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 in any public forums. Let's put it that <laughs> way. Uh, unless unless I get really drunk at karaoke,
1: okay. Well, it's it's been decades since I've sung in a public forum. <laughs> Although the as as you know, the uh, band I was in, Horse Feathers, we recorded hours and hours of stuff back in the seventies, and um, we have recently put together. Those recording the best of those recordings, remastered them, added new vocals, new instrumentation, and put out uh, an album called Symphony for a Million Mice. And uh, it's on all the usual places, Apple Music and everything, but you can order a special edition CD signed by the surviving band members at horsefeathersmusic.com.
2: A great holiday gift for the Mithner <laughs> and in your life. Uh, you <laughs> so uh, I, I, on the horse feathers front, actually, we had another question about them. Uh, an avid consumer writes, would you ever consider using horse feathers music in one of your upcoming movies in the way you use blue oyster Cult in the stand?
1: It depends. Um, I would if it were the appropriate thing. But part of the reason the Don't Fear the Reaper works so well in the stand And other things like "Don't Dream It's Over" uh, by Crowded House was, because it touches something that resonates in you. You already know those songs, Mm -hmm. and it brings another level of emotional impact to the to the films. So using something that you've never heard before, I'll do it often because it's all we can afford sometimes. (laughs) But um, uh, with horse feathers, if it's the appropriate music for the appropriate scene, but if I can use something that taps a a familiar note i would obviously prefer to do that
2: i think that makes a lot of sense uh josh asks what holiday films are your favorites and do you have any regular holiday film watches every year
1: i don't do a regular watch every year and uh, you know there's there are a number of holiday films that are worthwhile but maybe my favorite Christmas time film is rare exports Uh, a wonderful uh, uh, Scandinavian film that is genuinely scary. It's beautifully made. It's artistic. The photography and everything is just gorgeous. And it's a great way to celebrate the holidays if you're feeling a little bloodthirsty.
2: And I believe, I'm 90% sure, it's going to be available on Shutter this December. Oh,
1: that will be perfect then.
2: That will be perfect.
1: Uh, Shudder is killing it. They really yes, do a good job.
2: They are. I, I totally feel like my five bucks a month is is totally worthwhile. Definitely. Uh, above, above and beyond them hosting our own movie. Uh, yeah, yeah.
1: There's <laughs> a there's a, a holiday movie for you to celebrate <laughs> with Nightmare Cinema on Shudder
2: playing <laughs> All right. Frank Wright's FuzzBucket left me okay. with some kinder trauma after seeing it at age five. <laughs> Do you ever talk to other masters of horror like Wes Craven and Stuart Gordon about their experiences working with Disney?
1: Um, it has come up, but only in very general terms. Disney is kind of the biggest hard-ass of the studios to deal with, um, particularly in their marketing and merchandising and sharing of the wealth. Um, it's the upper echelon. Maybe it's the the legal affairs department but they're very greedy they're very tight-fisted and they're not the most pleasant i've had great experience with um with creative executives there mm-hmm. but the business end of disney you don't want to be on the other side of them
2: <laughs> i think i think that's probably true of just about any studio business affairs i mean they t- they tell you how much they love you and then the offer comes in and it's not that
1: yeah, but I've worked with all of those studios, Yeah, uh, of uh, all Disney's, of them. Disney's the worst. Yeah, they're, they're the most tight-fisted. Well, there you go.
2: Uh, so on the Fuzzbucket train...
1: Oh, we're still going, huh? <laughs>
2: yeah, oh yeah. Steven asks, can Fuzzbucket be killed with fire, or does it require holy water, hawthorn steaks, or other such weapons to put an end to its wickedness?
1: Um, Well, I think maybe ratings would be the biggest killer for Fuzzbucket. (laughs) Actually, it it did very well in the ratings, surprisingly. But uh, it is such a weird thing to have something come back to haunt you when Disney Plus came back and suddenly a lot of people were watching Fuzzbucket again. And, uh, you know, I'm going to reveal something that I think I've revealed before. But when I was working for Amazing Stories and writing on that show. And I finally got my opportunity to direct a story that Stephen had rejected for Amazing Stories that I turned into Fuzzbucket for the Disney Sunday movie. Um, Stephen asked me to do an episode of Amazing Stories uh, as director. And so I did, and it turned out really great, but I had made Fuzzbucket before that. And when he finally saw that before, uh, as I was shooting, uh, my episode of amazing stories. He said, you know, if I'd seen fuzzbucket, I'm not so sure I'd have asked you to direct one
2: oh, Wow, I did not know that <laughs> yes, I'm oh, really wow.
1: Standing naked before the audience with that uh, <laughs> Revelation right now, but yeah, and and it had a huge impact on me and my work and and uh, You know when I finally did that amazing stories episode and he saw it and we screened it for him in the ambulance screening room he could not have been more effusive and, and just supportive. And, you know, I have a, a a framed note from him on my wall saying what a terrific job it was and, and what a great directing career it would offer me. So, so it has a happy ending. So it's not quite so humiliating to uh, (laughs) spill those beans.
2: Oh, fuzz (laughs) buckets. Oh, Oh, fuzz buckets. All right. So here, let's go to the, uh, the other end. Stuart writes, with you being the very well-deserved recipient of many awards in 2020, uh, Mick and, and Joe, what were your first awards that you ever won? What was the first award you ever won, Mick? Uh,
1: Master Monster Maker in 1963 <laughs> when I... Oh, wow. I built an Aurora model kit of The Mummy and customized it and won a little plaque from uh, Famous Monsters magazine when I was like 11 years old.
2: No kidding. That's pretty yeah. cool.
1: Yeah. But what as about... far as, uh, as, uh, as a filmmaker, Critters 2 won best musical score at the uh, Sitges Film Festival, the first film festival I ever went to in my life and one that I have gone back to many times since and It's one of my favorite ones. So that was the first time one of my movies won an award, but I also won a um, an image award from the NAACP for an episode of amazing stories called the sitter that I wrote and uh, That is a pretty special one for this uh uh this anglo-american well i guess greco-american uh <laughs> to win an award from the NAACP. It was that pretty-, is
2: pretty cool that's really cool my my first award uh was it for one of my short films takeout uh I was from the Lagonia Film Festival I won best best short best short film woohoo celebration really? is yeah good. that was long it feels like that was a long time ago now what year uh, was it Uh, That was 2009, so 11 years ago. Wow,
1: congratulations.
2: Well, thank you. I did not know you back then. (laughs) 11
1: years after the fact.
2: Yeah, well, speaking of another award winner, Dr. Strange Job wants to know what the status of Nightmare Cinema 2 is.
1: We are in discussions. I've got a concept that uh, Shudder really likes, and we have another partner that's very interested in this approach. And Joe, you and I are working on getting this together, and uh, it looks very promising. We had the wind knocked out of our sails by the coronavirus, like everybody else did. Uh, but it looks uh, very promising. We are going to continue these conversations actually next week.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. It's a really, really exciting uh, direction for the series to go.
1: Yeah, I, I couldn't be more excited about that.
2: Jerks Productions right. <laughs> that they are in pre-production on their first feature film right now. Congratulations.
1: Yay, congrats. Uh,
2: Yeah, and they wanted to know, what are your top three rules when going into production on a feature? Wow. Three tips, three quick tips for them.
1: Well, I don't have any specific rules that I've numbered or anything, but I mean, the the main thing is making sure everybody's on the same page, everybody understands it, um, that you know what the movie is, what the tone is um, everybody from the key crew members to the cast and also to know what you're doing and to make it the most positive experience anyone can have that everyone on the job wants to be on the job and you want them to do their best work possible and that's by allowing them and encouraging them throughout not yelling not you know kicking apple boxes (laughs) not, uh, not showing peaks of temper and not making it all about you, but the movie comes first, Whatever is best for the movie comes first, not what's best for your ego.
2: I'm going to throw one, one more little idea on there. Uh, thank your crew. Uh, at the end of the day, go around and, and thank as many of them as you possibly can. I think, I think that goes a long way.
1: That's a great suggestion. And know everybody's name as, yes. as you can. And
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, let them know they're appreciated. That's that's the whole enthusiasm and encouragement that, that you give them all the way through. You know, and if somebody has a better idea than you do, then use it. Agreed. Know? Agreed. It's
2: it's not about your ego. Tde Perro asks, what are your thoughts on movie going post COVID? Will audiences return to the theater? Will day and date releases for become the norm for blockbusters? This is this is something that's been uh, while we've been off the air, has been brewing quite a bit. So I'm curious to hear what your take is on movie going post COVID.
1: Well, I want to be hopeful. You know, I want to go back to the movies. I can't wait until there is a valid uh, vaccine that allows us to do that. You know, I have no problems going for it soon. You know, I, I don't mind being uh, getting it as soon as it's available to me. Um, and I want to go back to the movies. I mean, I have an 86-inch TV monitor and surround sound and the whole thing, but it's still not going to the movies. Mm-hmm. I want to be in a theater, and I want to share an experience with an audience, but I also want that 50-foot screen and, you know, the Dolby Atmos and all of that. I want to see yeah movies in the best way. I'm not going to watch a movie on my phone. I will watch one on my iPad on a plane, but only because of that. So I think it's going to get better. I think some people are going to get used to watching things at home or on other devices rather than going to the movie theaters, but it's a social thing as well. It's a shared experience. So I'm, I'm hopeful. I think the theater chains are in deep shit. And I hope that we can come out of the other end uh, smiling, but it's a really, really tough time to see if they can hold out for much longer. Uh, You know, AMC and and Regal are really suffering right now and are looking for infusions of cash. And, you know, they have to stay alive. They've been shut down for nine months without, uh, you know, and having to pay rent uh, in all these expensive locations. It's, It's a conundrum
2: it would be really nice if our government would come in and help one of the true original american industries
1: it's true an industry that still is premier in this country you know we still export the the majority of cinema around the world mm-hmm. and it's one of the few industries that has not been shipped overseas although the production has been shipped to canada (laughs) in such a huge percentage but still it is an american industry that deserves to continue to thrive
2: agreed uh one last question for this week uh jonathan witt writes i remember reading once that stephen king approached mick to direct rose red but it never came to be i'd love to hear his perspective on this thanks
1: well he actually did. And I think he talks about that in, uh, the book of the script. Um, the problem was I was also developing desperation as a feature and that was where I'd put all my eggs. He had written the script for both of those. Um, and it ended up that desperation did not get made into a feature and was later on made as a television movie, a three hour television event. So, um, I probably could have done it. I'm kind of glad, uh, you know, I thought Craig Baxley did a great job of it. And there, it, you know, it's it doesn't engage me as much of as uh, the things I've had the opportunity to do with him since. It's not nearly as emotionally based. It's not nearly as character oriented. It's more event oriented. And as much as I love that the events in things like desperation and the shining and the stand are balanced with a really deep emotional core that I think is really important to the King stuff. So, um, I'm glad it got made, but I I don't kick myself for not being the one to make it.
2: There you go. Well, on that note, Mick, I'm going to wish you a happy birthday again. (laughs) Oh, stop it. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it's been fun catching up on uh, another AMA.
1: Thank you, Joe. And thank you, everyone. And if you have questions for us, please write to Joe Russo Tweets on Twitter and uh, Mick Garris PM on Twitter and Instagram and send us your messages. And we look forward to the next one. Thanks again. If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you would let the world know about it by reviewing and rating it on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you have comments or questions for our Ask Mick Anything shows, send them to Producer Joe at Joe Russo Tweets or to at Mick Garris PM on Instagram or Twitter or the Postmortem with Mick Garris Facebook page. This is a brand new address, so don't forget it. That's at Mick Garris PM on both Twitter and Instagram. And if you'd like to see my vintage and recent video interviews, making of documentaries, and audiobooks of some of my short stories, go to my website, mickgarrisinterviews.com.
2: Thanks for listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris. Download new episodes every other Wednesday and subscribe on iTunes.